Hello and welcome to Hunt, Find, Alert, the canine search and rescue podcast where we discuss everything related to the world of canine search and rescue work. I'm your host, Zephyr Allen, and thank you so much for joining us today. So have a great episode on deck today, That one that we've been working on for a while and we're finally able to, uh, to coordinate our schedules. And today we're going to talk about facts. And so for this discussion, I actually have two guests and I think, yeah, this is the first time that we've had two guests on the on the podcast so excited about that and so my first guest is tiffany turner hello tiffany how are you doing today i'm doing great thank you for having me my pleasure thank you so much for being here and then my second guest is dr ben alexander ben how are you today i'm doing very good thank you yeah you bet my pleasure and so today we want to talk about facts. And so I reached out to Ben and Tiffany. I've, I've actually been to facts for a couple of times as a disclaimer. And I enjoyed my experience there so much. I figured it'd be a good idea to tell everyone about it so that hopefully other cadaver handlers out there would, would also be inspired to attend facts. Uh, before we get into what facts is and some of the details around that, as we always want to do, we want to learn a little bit more about our guests. So Tiffany, I'll ask you to start first. If you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about your professional background, kind of what do you do to pay the bills and uh, if that has any impact or any correlation with your dog and search and rescue work. Okay. Um, I am currently working at Texas A&M Vet, Vet Medical Teaching Hospital. I am an internal med tech and I specialize in imaging. I've been working there for I, somewhere around 16 years and I work with hoofstock. So all the cows, the horses, we've had rhinos and camels and zebras. So just about anything with, with hooves, that's what, what I take care of. I love my job. I love working with the animals and it's been such a great experience. That's cool. And so that's I, I that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to go down a rabbit hole and ask you about working with large animals, but we, we're going to run out of time, so I'm not going to do it. But that, that's really interesting. So, Ben, how about you? Can you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Uh, I currently and a visiting professor at Texas State Forensic Anthropology Center. All right. Good deal. Appreciate it. All right, let, let's switch hats then. So let's get a, get into a little bit about your search and rescue background. So Tiffany, I'll start with you and I'll just go through a, a, a couple of questions and you can order them any, any way that you want. When did you get started in search and rescue? What motivated you to start in search and rescue? And what keeps you in search and rescue after however many years you've been doing it? Well, I've been in search and rescue for, I guess, somewhere around 20 years now. And what got me into search and rescue was a little black dog named Fanta and I had a boarding stables and one of the search and rescue people started boarding at my place and saw this little dog and saw the potential in her and how crazy she was and asked me to come out to see the team and I did I stayed I met Ben ended up marrying Ben and have been in search and rescue since then that was my first partner. Her name was Fanta. And then I've had several partners uh, in between both search and rescue, wildlife conservation. And so it's, it's been a journey. What keeps me in it? There's always that one search you go on that just touches your heart. Mm-hmm. And the search that really sealed the deal for me many years ago was for a young lady named Brandy Wells. And when we came on scene, we were searching, we, we did several searches for Brandy Wells's family. And well, I mean, even Christmas Eve, we were out searching. And not, not because we thought we were going to find her, but because the family needed us. It was the family that needed us. And I got to see how devastated that family was. And the mom came out and when we had finished a search and she asked to hug one of the dogs and she was crying and she was, she said to me, thank you guys so much because I was beginning to feel like my baby didn't matter to anybody. Mm -hmm. And that just so broke my heart. No parent should feel like 
should feel that powerless and feel that way about their child. And so that kind of taught me the, how important it is, how important it is to the ones that have lost. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for telling that story. I, I didn't ask this before, but what team or teams are you a member of, Tiffany? What search teams? Uh, I am on a, I'm on a FEMA USAR team here in Texas, and I am also on FIRST. Okay, and what is FIRST? First Detection Canine. It's a 501c3 nonprofit volunteer team. We only do cadaver and historical and uh, conservation work. Ellie? We we have somebody else chiming in here. So <laughs> no we'll, problem. We'll <laughs> All right. And, and where is first based out of? It's based out of Texas, but we do, we have members all over the U.S. Okay. All right. Good deal. Thank you. So, so Ben, let's, let's uh, switch hats over to you. So tell us how you got into search and rescue and uh, about how long have you been doing it and what motivates you to keep going? What got me into search and rescue actually was my ex-wife. We had seen something. We were living in Dallas. We saw a news rail on two missing children in Burleson, Cody and Sarah Patterson. And I don't know if you know anything about that case, but Sarah was raped and murdered by her mother's boyfriend and dumped in the river. And Cody had been left naked had been left for dead in a cemetery nearby. And there were German shepherds on the newsreel that found him. And that brought my wife's attention. She said, hey, those are shepherds. Ben, you could do this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we split up shortly thereafter, however. But I had already gotten involved with a search team here in College Station uh, when that happened. So... That's how I got involved. I've been in search and rescue since 2000. And why do I stay in it? Well, Brandy, the case that Tiffany talked about, I was there for that case. It affected all of us very deeply. And there have been a few other cases as well. But I, I think the reason that I do it is because I was raised that you use your gifts to help others and i don't have a lot of gifts i'm not athletic um but i can train dogs i've been training dogs since i was eight years old and it's something i can do to give back to my community all right very good thank you so let's talk about your dogs a little bit i we, we heard one of them talking to us a bit there but i'd like to tell us about the dogs that you've had and maybe the dogs that you currently have and you know, specifically what breed do they have? What disciplines have they worked, et cetera? So Tiffany, do you want to start? Sure, sure. My very first dog was Fanta and she was a mixed breed. Um, if you looked at her, you'd say she was a solid black border collie, but the genetics said she was Boceron and Papillon. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Yeah. Um, my next two dogs were both border collies and then they were search and rescue, uh, HR. Fanta was HR. And then I got into conservation work, and my next few partners were Border Collies and Labs. Um, we did conservation work looking at finding otter scat, looking at an endangered species of toad called the Houston toad. I trained a dog that is now working on the Galapagos Island looking for African land snail, giant African land snails, and spent six weeks down there um, getting the dog acclimated and training the new handlers. And then there's been a few other conservation works that we did. Partners, Neville was a lab. Tara was a tricolored border collie. Um, and let's see, my my FEMA partners have been Black Labs, and I am currently training a doodle. Uh, she's a Labradoodle for HR for FEMA. I and, can only imagine you get a hard time about that, don't you? Uh, not yet. She <laughs> not hasn't really okay. made her way into the world yet. Okay. Was, All right. But when she does, I hope to have her the best clip, 
job that she <laughs> I can get with her nails painted a glittery purple and a little tiara in her hair. So everybody takes notice of her. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've had quite a few partners and I'm sure I've missed one or two. But, you know, I just my my first FEMA partner was Fetch It and he just passed away on the first of this month. Oh, sorry to hear that. And uh, that's always very hard. But yeah, so that that's kind of been my trail of dogs. Okay. Sounds like between labs and, and border collies, those are probably your, your preferred breeds. Is that right? You know, honestly, I don't have a preferred breed. I love any breed. I've, matter of fact, I've just gotten a new one that is, who knows what he is. He's another Heinz 57, but he mm -hmm. has all the traits, everything to be such a strong candidate for USAR or whatever we want to do with him. Okay, cool, cool. All right, Ben, you want to tell us about your partners? Well, I started with a German Shepherd named Allie, who <clears throat> I quickly discovered when she was about three, and I've been doing this for two years, uh, wasn't appropriate because I got a Border Collie puppy named Pizzas and Search and Rescue Dogs that are Border Collies, um, was appropriate. Mm -hmm. And the difference between them was night and day. So I retired her and kept going with Pete. I had two daughters as partners. I have a grandson and a granddaughter that are my current partners. So I stuck with Border Collies after the Shepherd, although I'm looking at potentially getting a Legoto Romagnolo, maybe Labor Day weekend. We'll see if okay. she has the right stuff. Good deal. So have you, ha, were all your dogs HRD dogs or did you, did you do trailing or area search or just HR? My first two border collies were cross trained in area search and HR. And we court, we did water also. So mm -hmm. I also did have a Dutch shepherd, but she also washed out. Um, she just, she didn't have the nerve strength. So I was kind of disappointed with that. Okay, just I'm just curious. So between your first shepherd and Pete, what what were the distinguishing factors that you, that that made you say, "Well, let's retire the shepherd and move forward with Pete." You know, Allie was a really sweet dog, but that Pete would keep going regardless of how hot he was, how tired he was. His first certification, uh, he jumped a group a big stand of cactus at the very beginning like right after I said search 45 minutes later, we found his victim. We brought him back. We did the required exam. He had cactus needles stuck in his underside in his privates, his thighs, all under his uh, armpits. He never slowed down the entire time. Allie could hit one thorn and she was like, Oh, 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 Oh no. Can't go on. Had a victim hide in a brack, uh, bramble of, of uh, blackberry vines one time, and mm -hmm. she would circle it, but she wasn't going in. She was like, Nick, he's in there, but you go get him. I'm not going. So it became really obvious that if I were out searching for someone that was potentially alive, she could miss them. Pete wasn't going to, and I wasn't going to risk anybody's life. So that's when I decided that's it. We're done. Okay, good deal. That makes sense. Hopefully, uh, there's some handlers out there listening to that story. And, and sometimes you have the wrong dog, and there's always the right dog out there available somewhere. You just have to find yep. it. So let's go ahead and, and transition into the purpose of the show. And so kind of the way I want to do this, uh, Ben and Tiffany, is I want to take this from the perspective of, hey, I'm a I'm an HRD handler, I don't know, some somewhere in, in Virginia, and I don't know what facts is, and I've never heard of facts. And we 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 just kind of want to lay this out to say, here are the things that you need to know. So some of the questions I'm going to ask you are going to seem pretty rudimentary. That is the reason why, uh, as I mentioned before, for the for the listeners, I've been to facts twice myself, so I, I have a, a decent understanding of it. But we want to make sure that you all understand what facts is, and ultimately, um, hopefully you make an informed decision about whether to intend, attend facts. So I'm going to ask a very open-ended que question, and, and Ben, I'll, I'll ask you to answer this question. Just generically high level, if you were given a, if you were in an elevator with someone and they said, hey, can you tell me what facts is, what is facts? 
Well, FACTS stands for the Forensic Anthropology Center at Texas State. And it is a facility for research for anthropologists, entomologists, soil scientists, anyone that is interested in death and any kind of legal aspect that surrounds it. Uh, for the dogs, it is a place that we are allowed the privilege to come in and train the dogs on bodies which are donated uh, to the facility in order to get them uh, better acquainted with whole bodies in different stages of decomposition. All right, very good. And just for a, a clarifying question, in case anyone may not know, where is FAX located? FAX is located at Texas State in San Marcos, Texas. It's actually located on the 3,500-acre Freeman Ranch uh, that was donated to Texas State, I think, in the 90s. So let, let me ask this question, because I always want to understand kind of the reasoning behind it. So uh, specifically for the dog portion of it, why was FAX created, or, or why does the, the university give the privilege of the, the dog team to come in and work there? We're really lucky. Dr. Danny Westcott is the director for the, the facility, and he's a dog lover. Uh, I was doing graduate work there, doing some of my graduate research, and every day or every week that I went over there, there'd be a big, chunky black lab laying in his office, and I finally got the courage up to ask him, would you consider allowing dogs out here for training? He said, write up a proposal. We did that. And we did a uh, trial seminar in the spring of 2013. It went really well, and he has supported the program ever since. So without him and Sophia Mabrados, which is the facility uh, manager, without their support, we wouldn't still be having the program. Great. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's good to hear. It's nice to have dog supporters and, and search and rescue supporters where you can find them. Um, so Tiffany, let me ask you this question, because I think one of the things that, um, is important to understand is if, if I'm looking to attend facts, what, what is going to happen there? So just kind of a generic or high level question, what are the goals and objectives of facts and the canine portion of facts that, that you all hope to accomplish for new students? In a nutshell, it's to build a foundation that whole body odor equals reward. And it's not just the fresh body, but we have everything from untouched bleached bones, body burns, different stages of decomp, both pre-purge and post-purge stages. But it is getting repetitions to build that foundation. Yeah, I, I'll, so I'll give a quick testimony. So as I was preparing to go the first time, I'll, I heard, of course heard about facts and I knew about the exposure to bodies, specifically fresh bodies. What I didn't know going into it is the exposure uh, to bodies at varying levels of decay down to, to skeletonized remains. And that is, I mean, to say it's impossible to train on is, a, is an understatement outside of facilities like yours. There's, there's, there's no way for us to replicate that. And it was so interesting watching the dogs work that because um, everything that you expect to happen, you say, well, look, there's a full skeletonized remain right there on the ground and the dog is up in the trees. And there's reasons for that. And we'll talk through that. But it was really, really interested and really eye opening for me to have the opportunity to do that. So absolutely. Thank you for for clarifying that. So if and, and this is a question for either one of y'all who wants to take it. So who can attend facts um, and where do your students come from? Anyone can attend the level one that has a certified dog or a dog that's close to certification with approval of an instructor. Level two and three, they have to have attended previous, uh, either a level one or a level two, or approval of the instructor. If you are coming to the novice or puppy facts, there are no actual requirements for that besides being on a search team. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and where do your students generally come from? Are they all from within Texas, the Southwest, or do they come across, from across the states? 
We've had people from all over the world, actually. They come from all over the U.S., and then we've had the Canadian mounted, Canadian Mounties. The Mounties. Just the Mounties. We have had people from Sweden. Sweden. We have had people from Mexico. And, I mean, just, Fax has gotten has gotten so many good reviews and we don't do a lot of advertising so it's all word of mouth but it has reached australia and you know just so many different countries now okay cool so and these people from sweden and so forth are, are flying their dogs in and and coming in to work or are they auditing Actually, they're auditing mm-hmm. uh the the canadians we <laughs> One gentleman was really wanting to work a dog, so I actually just handed him handed off one of my dogs to him and let him run through the seminar with her, uh, <laughs> which he was thrilled to do. Mm-hmm. But we yeah. actually do have a we do have a dog coming this year from somewhere in Europe, not the Ukraine, but somewhere around there. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, that's oh. that, that's a lot of effort. And I did want to add, you know, the other type of remains that we now have, which I'm very proud that has been added to facts, is charred remains, burned remains that is essential. After the California wildfires and Maui, while the, the fires mm-hmm. there in, in Hawaii, having dogs trained on burned, charred remains is so important. Yeah, gotcha. So I, I I didn't ask earlier, and I think Ben, you may have mentioned it, but I do want to clarify and ask again: uh, where do the remains come from? They're all donations, so they're either donated by the individual themselves before death, or they're donated by family members after death. Okay, and so the the family or the individual is contacting the university and and offering themselves or their family members for Correct. for medical research. Is that right? Yes. Okay, cool. So then where are, the, where are your instructors from? So who are, if you want to name some of the instructors, that's fine. If not, no problem. But but generally, where do they come from? What type of experiences do they have? Well, I can tell you that, Ben can tell you about the instructors themselves, but I can tell you one of the things that we do look for in instructors, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who knows it all, but they have to be good at one portion of it. Mm-hmm. They have to have experiences that were very successful that they can share. And they have to have an understanding that they're at facts. We're not trying to change the way anybody trains their dogs. If they've made it to certification, they've done a great job. We just want to provide opportunity to grow and learn, not to change. And those people, Ben finds, and he can tell you a little about them and how he's come well, and one of the things, one of the philosophies that we have at FACTS is that we, we do train with positive methods because we don't know what's going on in the dog's mind. Um, we don't allow e-collars inside the facility to be turned on because we did in the beginning and we had people inadvertently zap their dogs at the wrong time. Um, we're not out to have anything causing aversives to the dogs. Uh, so the person that we have as instructors also have to be fairly well educated in learning theory and understanding how dogs learn so that we can help each dog as an individual. In terms of who we have for instructors, our current roster includes myself and Tiffany, Karen Paquette from Arizona, Greg Strickland from Florida, Chrissy Thompson from Texas. She's a, a Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, game warden who handles the canine, HRD canine. Uh, assistant instructors, we have Nadine uh, Connor from Kansas, Kristen Blackman from uh, Houston, Texas, uh, and various other individuals. Bruce Trazak, who's a police officer with Leander PD. Um, Again, the main thing to be an instructor, Elisa Higgins has instructed for us on several occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, The main thing is, again, they have to subscribe to, uh, we're going to do this as positive as what we can. Okay, perfect. So next question, 
And in just a second, I want to walk through level one, two, three, and then the puppy or novice facts. But I want to ask a, a more high level question first. So if I'm attending facts for the first time, so you're going to assume it's either level one or the, the novice facts, like generally at a high level, what can I expect? Like, you know, well, when do I need to be there? Is it Monday through Friday or is it, or is it over the weekends? Do I need to stay in San Marcos? Do I need to stay outside of San Marcos? What do I need to bring for my dog? Kind of what can I expect the first time that I attend FACS? So uh, all the seminars are weekend-based at this time point because Tiffany and I typically are working during the week. Mm -hmm. uh, for the novice, it's just Saturday and Sunday. The majority of the class is held inside. So what we typically tell people, bring toys, bring treats, bring crates. And that typically sees us through the weekend. If you're coming to one of the other facts, we're going to be outside in the field all weekend. And so for the level one, uh, we tell people, you know, bring appropriate clothing for the weather, which could include rain gear, water, a chair if they want to sit down. Yeah, Pray. a chair is important just for people who think about coming. Bring a chair. Sorry, go ahead, Ben. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, the dog's reward, so whatever the reward is, a toy, if they're doing treats, we're kind of picky on treats out there. We don't want the treats falling on the ground, so that generally has to be approved by an instructor, and it needs to be something that isn't crumbly, because that could alter any research that's going on. And one thing that we emphasize to everybody is that even though we have things that are set aside for us, the entire facility is a research facility. Mm -hmm. And that's its primary goal. The dogs are a secondary nice thing that we're able to do. And we don't want to interfere with anybody's research that's going on. And the other thing, too, is what people need to know is that when they sign up, they get a welcome packet. They should get a welcome packet. And if they don't, they need to email us. But it kind of outlines places to stay, places to go just for fun. Um, the closest veterinarian for medical, the closest urgent care for humans, and things that they need to bring. So that welcome packet should give them all the directions and things they need. Okay, perfect. So let, let's kind of get into the meat and potatoes where all this has kind of been building. And I want to go through the various levels of facts, starting with the, the puppy or the novice facts. So, so what types of dogs, or excuse me, what ages of dogs can attend the novice class? Uh, and then what can I expect to learn as, as a student in that novice facts class? So the puppy class is my absolute favorite. As long as the puppies had their set, their full sets of shots, so they they're not going to be bringing anything in or getting anything from the environment or other dogs. They're welcome to come. Mm -hmm. And so what we do with, with the puppy facts is we have such a, um, we have so much fun with them. So when the puppies come in, we usually have it in the heat of the summer. So it's all, all of, all of the introductory is indoors. And the whole premise of it is building a more resilient dog in the future. So when the puppy comes in, we start off by making the room and the people, the group, which some puppies may have been in a group, some, some puppies may not. Um, when you bring them into a new building, the echoes, the sights and sounds are so different. So we pull all the toys out. And we have a toy game with them and just let them play with all the toys, see which ones, you know, for us to observe, which ones does the puppy like in this moment of development, um, which ones do they not, you know, how social are they, how comfortable can we make them. And it also gives me as an instructor an idea if this puppy might be going into a fear period, which we have had one puppy go through a fear period at FACTS and be able to help the puppy through it with all positive outcomes so when we got to the body it was very successful mm -hmm. the other thing that we do with the puppy facts is we bring out a lot of the different training um gimmick i don't want to say gimmicks the the different types of training like the insular box pop boxes the herstic wall um, bricks, different ways of introducing a dog to odor 
and getting the puppies used to moving moving things, loud noises, like the insular box has a guillotine door and getting mm -hmm. that puppy used to it. It's, it's almost like a little taste test of what is out there for the handlers to, to see and, and know how to ask about it and where to find it. Um, and then after doing some indoor stuff with different, we, we start to introduce the puppies to odor pretty quickly. And we start with small odor that's fresh tissue. And then we start moving up and we do almost an increment station type of deal that we do with level one for the big dogs. But the puppies are introduced with a little bit more ease, individual, individual attention. Um, and we do what we can. We do everything that it takes to make sure that that puppy is very positive and is more resilient to noises, sights, sounds, smells. Um, and we end up in the facility at a whole body, introducing the puppy to a whole body. And I think that's pretty much the puppy class in a nutshell. So then when you take the puppy class, so let's say I had a, I don't know, a six month old puppy I was bringing, you are starting and it, it, it sounds more encompassing than I, than I originally imagined. I thought it was just working odor, but it sounds like you're doing socialization and nerve strength and several other things that you're looking at, but you are taking that six month old dog and you're, you're introducing it to odor probably for the first time. And by the end of the weekend, if everything goes correct, they're on the full body. Is that accurate? That's correct. Okay, cool, cool. And and do the puppies, are they usually pretty receptive to that, to that progression? Do you see some of them shut down or is it kind of a mix of, of both worlds depending on the dog? It's a mix. It's a mix of both. Um, I, I'm so proud. One of the puppies, one of the dogs that was at our last, or puppy, puppy facts time before last, which was last year. The very first one. Caitlin was the very so, first one. So that dog just got its, FEMA HR certification yeah. back in May and cool. just responded to the Maui wildfires. Very We're nice. so proud of that puppy. And, and that was one of the puppies that, you know, we, we actually got an alert that first, a prompted alert that first day using an insular box. And, you know, it was, it was beautiful see, to see. And I actually got to be there in Utah the same weekend that she certified. So I didn't get to see her, but mm -hmm. it was, it was wonderful to, to know. Yeah. The, the whole gamut. Yeah. For a dog. That's great. So then yeah. let, let's jump to level one. So tell us a little bit about level one. What are we doing with the dogs and, and what's the end objective of level one? Level one is exposure, exposure, exposure. For inventory. It is, it's building the inventory of the dog. It is trying to get as many different whole body decomp odors as we can. Um, we always, so far in 10 years, we've been successful 99% of the time having a fresh body out there. Um, once we did have one that was a week, a week of decomp, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, we have fresh deceased laid out for the level one. And then we have other donations that are open to us whether it's dry bone the burn bodies have been open to us and then i believe at the last facts we even worked in body burns um and it's also education for the handlers not just the dogs because some people may not recognize what a body burn looks like or understand what a body burn is um and so they learn that there and they get to uh, put their dogs to have multiple it's not just you go up to, to it once, reward your dog and leave. We want to build a good foundation. And so we allow the dogs to go up to it and the handler do multiple repetitions of sniff and reward or alert and reward and to build whatever foundation that they're working on at that time, whether it's the, the odor association, whether it's the alert, whether it's a straight in send off, whether it is you know, whatever it is, we want to try to help that handler become better, do better, be better tomorrow than they are today. Mm -hmm. So for that level one class, do you start the dog on the whole body or is it more of a progression to the whole body? So does it end with the whole body or start with the whole body? It is. A, 
it is a progression because that was kind of lessons learned at facts. One of the things that we learned right off is that taking the dogs into the whole body was not as successful. We had a higher percentage of dogs not being successful at it. And we had to work 10 times harder to make it successful. So what we did is we started an increment station with a level one. When you come in, we first have a leg stretcher where we put some source out because the dogs have been traveling and handlers kind of, you know, are, are apprehensive about what's next, what's next. We very first exercise at level one is we put source out that's not hard. It's fairly visible. And we allow the handlers to send their dogs to it so the dogs can run around, find it, and do their alert. And then the whole class goes through that. And it's just a one-time deal where they get to go up to it and uh, get that first source out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we might have a lecture or we might go straight to what we call the increment station. Most dogs train on about 15 to 100 grams of decomp and so that's where our increment station starts 15 about 15 grams and then we go up it's about four or five increments all the way up to about 40 pounds of arms and legs and what the reason we did this and we continued with it is we noticed there was such a huge difference in taking care of the the odor stress when it came to introducing the whole body or some of the pre-purge bodies. And so we have just continued with it and it helps to set the stage and we have fewer dogs backing away from the body by doing that increment station. And the whole increment station is relatively fresh tissues. Mm -hmm. So then I'm, I'm going to tie, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, please. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say from there, then we go into the facility and we start doing rounds in the facility um, at different stations where we might one station, both Saturday and Sunday will be the fresh body. And there's reasons for that too. I, I could go into a lot of detail about how, about what we've learned about introducing dogs to whole fresh bodies, but there's a reason for, for having it both days, but there's also the bone scatters. Um, we, there at Texas State, because of the, the weather, we also have some bodies that get mummified, mm -hmm. which you don't have necessarily like in Huntsville at their body farm, they all melt. And so the dryness, we have those, and then we have the post purge. And so we pretty much spend the, the Saturday and Sunday in, in the facility itself. Okay, cool. So for the listeners, I'm going to give you a little bit of a precursor. We're going to do a second episode where we're really going to break down the lessons that Ben and Tiffany have learned over the past 10 years of doing facts. Hopefully the, the listeners caught it. There's two things I want to tie together. So Ben mentioned earlier that, that to, in order to attend level one, you have to either be a certified dog or very near being ready to certify. So these are all certified for the most part certified hrd dogs right and so what i just heard tiffany say is that there is a, some level of dog or some number of dogs that will either not approach or back away from a full body so i i hope people are taking note of that because i think there's an assumption that yeah if my dog is certified then it is ready to run on a full body and if there's a, an actual search it, it'll it'll definitely find and alert to a full body but what I think you heard, I heard you say, Tiffany, is that not, is that, that is not necessarily the case. Is, is that your, your, been your experience so far? Very much so. And matter of fact, there is a study and if it hasn't been published already, it's going to be published soon showing just that and the statistics of how, of how many certified dogs will just walk on right on past the body or they see it, you know, they, they'll smell an anomaly in the environment and they'll go check it out and then they'll walk away, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's been eye opening, and the numbers are just incredible. Well, yeah, that's really saying something. So I hope the listeners are taking note to that. So if you have not, if you're working HRD as a handler and if you haven't taken your dog to a body farm and there's, there's several across the country, 
I'm sure Ben and Tiffany can name them better than I can. In my opinion, you're not a complete HR handler until you've taken your dog to a body forum and done that full body exposure because of everything that Tiffany just mentioned. So I, I, I want to dig more into that, but we'll do that in the second episode if that's okay. Uh, but that's a really interesting point to take away. Uh, we need facilities like FACS to expose our dogs to whole bodies. And I think there's multiple reasons why, but one of them is unless your dog has seen the thing, the scent picture, the, the, the criteria, the context, some dogs just won't, won't stomach it and it may be too much for them. So we, we collectively as a community have to do better in that regard. So I'll get off my soapbox because I, <laughs> it's something I'm very passionate about. But before I, before I continue on, let's talk about level two. So if I'm, a, if I'm a student, I've gone through level one, what can I expect in the level two class? Well, if you, if you don't mind me backing up just a little bit sure. for a minute, yeah, please. There, there, is, there is a precedence even for that non-recognition with drug dogs. Many mm. years ago, there were drug dogs that were walking entire semi, semi-truck trailer fulls of narcotics but they were 100% on their training aids and it was a difference in size. And so that's just odor. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the assumption has always been put forth by trainers that if they can find 30 grams, they can find a body. And it's actually the other way around. If they can find a body, they can, they find, can find 30, 30 grams. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's just odor. If you think about all the other stressors that go with a, full human body that we will talk about possibly in the, in the next series, then, you know, it, it becomes, there's so many more facets to work through than just odor. So I'm going to ask a question and I, I honestly kind of cringe even asking it and, and maybe we have to wait for the study to come out. But if you were to put a finger in the air and say approximately what percentage of dogs that attend the level one, actually give a full alert to a whole body what would you estimate it being 40 percent. 40 percent wow <laughs> so and 60 some of those are... that already attended facts i think it, it was very disturbing yeah. yeah so the level two level two i will let ben talk a little bit more about but it's it's a little bit more scenario based and we br start branching out a little bit more Okay. So in the level two, we have an outdoor, or excuse me, well, an outdoor indoor facility that is off campus that we utilize, which is a active shooter practice range. The old state goes there with their police departments and sheriff's departments, and they're kind enough to donate a day to us to bring the dogs over there. It's a simulated <laughs> uh, single family <laughs> dwelling with multiple rooms with mm -hmm. no roof and it has a catwalk above the, above the ceiling so that people can actually look down and watch each room and how the dog works the odor in each room. So there's a lot of learning about in how indoor odors, where they, where they accumulate, where they fall, watching the dog's nose. And so everybody can watch and learn um, what that odor is doing. Okay, so there's like a catwalk up at the top that folks can look down on. Yeah, it's a huge building mm -hmm. and then they're, they've built a, a house with multiple rooms and two entry doors, and the, which are breaching doors for the police to, to go into. But it is, it's very unique. I, I love working in there. Okay. And you, and you also, mentioned there were some scenarios and what, what type of scenarios do y'all generally do there? So at that house, we do, of course, it's, it's indoor searches. Like if you had a, a house the police wanted you to search. Generally, it's trace evidence. We don't put anything really huge in there. Um, we also have uh, the scenario we have there at that same facility. It looks like a motel with a bunch of doors. And so uh, we do a search where the dogs will sniff each uh, threshold of the door mm -hmm. and pick out which doors have a source behind them but it's great for working sort of like a, a, a real live lineup if you had if you were called to a motel 
and you were not allowed to go into the rooms, but they were asking you to pick, you know, possibly a room mm. after a some sort of disaster or something happened, then that's what that's for. And, and the dogs, it works really well for the dogs. It's great training, teaching the handlers how to either work their dogs online or offline, but that patterned search, making that really pretty, teaching them how to go from door to door. Okay, cool. A- anything else in level two? Uh, that's just one station. We have, oh, okay. a, we have two other stations for the level two. And they vary from year to year, depending on what's available. But we always include the green cemetery. So the dogs get practice on graves that are as close to clandestine graves as what you're going to get, except for what's actually out at the facility. Some years we do water. We also will do other wilderness scenarios. I think that's all we did this year, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wilderness, water, um, indoor or buildings. And then we also do body farm. Okay. Can, can you describe what a green cemetery is? A green cemetery is a cemetery that does, does not have embalmed bodies. They're all natural. They're typically buried two to four feet deep, depending on the soil. Sometimes they're buried by the families themselves. Sometimes they hire someone to come out and dig the hole. The one that we train on is very rocky. So typically they're about three feet deep and they mound the rocks up on top of the bodies. No casket. They're either wrapped in a shroud or just in their clothing. Okay. So it's pretty realistic to what we would run into in the field. And like you mentioned, clandestine, great. Okay, great. All right. So then that takes us to level three. So tell us about, and and just for context, so I'm signed up for level three. And every time I mention to someone I'm taking it, who that's been to it, they just laugh with the evil laugh. So I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. Uh, so I'm going to let somebody handle this. Yeah, I, I'm as interested in anyone else to hear the answer for what exactly level three is, because I just keep getting <laughs> ominous signs from everyone I mentioned it to. So please go ahead, Tiffany. Absolutely. So we really challenge the brain of the handler and the skills of the dog. And, and we do it in a very benevolent way, but it's one, we try to set up scenarios that make you think. They're not clean. They're not clear cut. They are real world. They are things that, they are things that we happened upon in our searches that left us scratching our brains going, why did that happen? How did that happen? Um, it's taken from real cases. Yeah. It's oh, okay. Taken from, okay. It's taken from real cases. Uh, the real cases that weren't straightforward. Sure. The real cases in hindsight, thinking about the science of how odor travels or the mechanics, the physics of the way something might work. We put it together and put it in a very challenging scenario for canine and handler. And, uh, and we mix it in with motivationals too, because we don't want to burn out anybody, but we do want scenarios where they're walking away going, man, I didn't realize that could happen. And uh, we have some pretty unique situations and I, and I don't want to go too much into three because I want it to always be a little bit of a mystery. So you walk in, not knowing, not prepared, because that's what happens to us when we go on real searches. We, we walk in, you know, knowing that basically what we're looking for, but not what the environment may hand to us. Okay. And these are a combination. Is it, is it primarily kind of in building crime scene work? Is it wilderness work, water work, or a combination of all three? It could be any of that. All right. I'm trying to get some clues as to what I'm running into, but you're not giving it, giving it up. (laughs) Some of our, some of our scenarios have been flash flood scenarios where we've Mm -hmm. had um, debris piled up and lots of debris piled up just as in the, the flash floods from Memorial day there in San Marcos. Mm -hmm. Um, We have had buildings that had, strange ventilation 
we have had we've had one scenario where a bunch of kids in the park one kid did not come back um and that was a very strange situation we've had a serial killer um also and, and the one that i'm really wanting to do i will i will do it put a teaser out there and this could be level two or three is we really are looking to put together a, a search in a hoarder type situation uh, yeah so which which will be very challenging because most hoarders hoard not only do they have mice and and dead animals in their home but you know they can have they can also hoard pets along with lots of uh of, of their treasures and stuff mm -hmm. and so yeah so that that's one that we are looking to do sometime in the future okay all right and just a clarifying question in order to attend level three you have to attend level one and two or level one or have instructor approval how does that work level one you instructor you have to have level one and then instructor approval okay okay sounds good if you you don't have to have instructor approval if you go through one and two okay gotcha and i i forgot i think you all did it this year for the first time maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong or not on that but there's a there's a water class now too isn't there that does not have to do with facts okay that is something ben and i do um under first detection under canine. first detection canine and again what we did with the water seminar which is separate is we we started noticing deficits in the way that we train water and so we broke it down into foundation skills and getting the dogs ready for water searches okay and All i right. we could we could do an entire episode just on the water the water classes because there's a lot of things that we learned throughout the years and in being very successful on water, we were wondering why people were having such a hard time pinpointing and, and doing well on water. And we addressed that with our seminar. Okay, cool, cool. So then one, one question I forgot to ask earlier. So that's, that's three, uh, one level one, two, three, then a puppy class. So obviously in order to attend facts, I have to pay a fee. Uh, where does that fee go to that, that I pay to attend facts or, or is, is that go directly to Ben and Tiffany or does that go somewhere else? <laughs> it does not come to <laughs> us. <laughs> so part of the reason that the university allows us to do these seminars is because the university uh basically makes all the money on them mm -hmm. so and so know. we we volunteer our time and we volunteer our resources and everything and what we try to do to help offset the cost of of gas and some of the training props and and things and the cost to get our our assistant instructors and, and wranglers we do have to have wranglers there too that was part of the the discussion between texas state and ben um what we do is we have a auction where we asked everybody to bring an auction item and we auction it off and have a lot of fun you know it's it's more fun and and um getting donations than it is truly you know getting a, a item at a great price at an auction it, it's really for fun and to help offset the cost for us all right and good deal so so just for the world out there ben and tiffany are not getting rich off of these seminars just oh no no, no <laughs> I, uh, uh, I work a job just so that i can pay to be be there and and you know so another thing about the um fact seminars everybody thinks that ben and i get to go out there and train anytime we want and we don't that that's part of our payment too for the instructors the assistant instructors and the wranglers is the only payment from texas state that we really get is we get to work our dogs for just a few minutes on the bodies mm -hmm. and and that that's you know for me that's really made it worth it um besides seeing seeing the dogs learning and see those little light bulbs come on that that's really payment for me is i enjoy behavior and i enjoy seeing that connection between handler and dog and you know everything coming together for them 
All right, cool. So uh, uh, approximately how big are these classes? You know, are there, are there five people in them? Are there 100 people in them or somewhere in between? I will let Ben talk about that. We limit the, the novice puppy facts to uh, eight students because it is extremely intensive. And to have more than that, the dogs wouldn't get enough attention. The uh, level one, we have four uh, primary instructors. And so we arrange it to where it's about a six to one ratio with students. So we only take a total of 24 students for the level one. The level two is about the same. The level three, however, we took more students in the beginning, but we kind of paired it back. And the most that we'll take for the level three is 10 students. Okay. So plenty of plenty of work, plenty of hands-on. And and I can tell you, so just, just speaking for the folks who are listening, if you haven't been, I've gone to level one and level two. By the by the end of the weekend, you're exhausted. Like you don't want to run another problem. Your dog is exhausted. You get a lot of work in. The the classes are intense and you just keep rolling and keep moving. So there there's a lot to do there. Just just want to make sure to point that out. In the beginning, we got criticized a lot for having too much downtime. Okay. And so we have rearranged things to where there is very little downtime now. So is there an opportunity, let's say, you know, I, I have a team and my team has five people. Do you all offer private classes at FACS at all? Or is it is it just the, 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 the four levels of classes that you have the opportunity to attend? We do uh, offer privates. They're a little bit harder to schedule because it's got to work with mine and Tiffany's schedule mm -hmm. and the universities. So that kind of limits some weekends. But we, we typically do four to five of those a year. Uh, we do not do any in the summertime for two reasons. The main one is that it's just too hot out there. Um, and because of that, there's uh, Sophia put a moratorium on any summer um, private classes or classes with the dogs. But yeah, you have to have a minimum of four dogs and no more than 12. Okay, cool. So I, as we look to start wrapping up, I want to ask kind of a, a, a broad question. So 10 years now, a little bit over 10 years, y'all have been doing this. What impact do you think that FACS has had? And, and Ben, I'll ask you to start. So on, on the cadaver dog, on the HR dog community as a whole, what impact have, has it had and, and what are you particularly proud of uh, that you guys have done over the last 10 years? I think the impact that we've had is that dogs are better prepared. The thing that I, I'm most proud of is that we receive letters from former students every year and law enforcement saying, you know, I'd been working my dog this many years and then I came to facts and immediately after I had my first whole body find. I think the the percentage that we quoted to you, 40%, not only making the trained final response. I think sadly, there are a lot of cadaver dogs out there that haven't been exposed to whole bodies and may very possibly have walked a body on a search. That's the thing that keeps me up at night and it's also what keeps me going and when I get discouraged and I'm ready to throw the towel in over there that's the reason I don't mm -hmm. all right Tiffany what about you you know it, it, just what Ben said you know it's it's getting these reports back from students thanking us and law enforcement officers thanking the university because the canines they're utilizing they have seen a change in them and they have seen improvements and usefulness and that was one of the things that started facts was how discouraged law enforcement was with the hr dogs in their communities and you know when you when you live in one place and that's all the dogs you're seeing you think it's local you think oh gosh it's just it's just our dogs that are bad and then you open up facts and you start seeing dogs from around the country and you realize it's community wide. And, you know, there's so many factors that contribute to dogs not being able to complete the task, that particular task. It doesn't say that, you know, they, they're not great at 
cold cases or, or small fines, but or forensics, but having those whole body fines were far and few between. And now we're starting to get letters and thank yous and seeing that improvement in the community itself, not just here, but you know, across the US. Cool. Yeah, that's great. So I, I'm going to say it again. If if you haven't attended one of these body farms, you're not a complete cadaver dog handler. You're, you're just not. And you can say, well, definitely you don't know what you're talking about. That's an opinion. Well, I, I, I would defer to what Ben and Tiffany just said because they're they're experts. I'm not. Uh, you're not a complete cadaver dog handler. So with that point being said, I, I'd ask you guys both as kind of a closing statement. If you're if you're speaking to a, a HRD handler and you say and, and they ask a question, why should I attend facts? What would you what would your response to them be? Uh, I can tell you it. They don't have to attend facts. It, it's you know, facts is thank goodness. Facts is not the only place to go anymore. Mm-hmm. But but get your dog on whole bodies and do multiple repetitions. Just like when you introduce your dog to odor the first time and you built that association that this odor equals reward, find a place you can do that with different whole bodies in different, different uh, stages of decomp, whether it's facts, whether it's one of the other body farms, whether it is, a seminar that they they have a whole body that you can get to. I, I think it's super important. And I'll talk, you know, I, I could talk forever on, you know, the what the things that are needed to get that whole body association and the things that aren't, but I don't have enough time today. But yeah, it, it's not just facts. It's just get your cadaver dog. If you if you go out and look for for someone who's recently deceased, it is imperative that you you go somewhere, somewhere, and get your dog started on whole bodies. Very good, Ben. Yeah, I agree with what she said. The there is facts. There's furs in Colorado. There's Western Carolina on the eastern coast. There is Locating the Dead in California, which is not a facility, but it is exposure to whole bodies one day a year. I love Locating the Dead. It is great. It is essential. Um, Just because they can find 30 grams doesn't mean they can find the body. It's highly unlikely that they will if they have never been exposed. Well, I... I, So please get your dog on a body somewhere. Yes, yeah. So then uh, let's say I'm in Iowa somewhere and I want to attend facts. Like, how do I find your contact information? Is there a website that I can log on to, to register? What does that process look like? Uh, well, probably the easiest thing to do is to find me on Facebook because that's where I announce most of the seminars. Okay. Uh, the other potential is to go to Texas state's webpage and go to the forensic anthropologies page, which has a list of workshops. It has my email on there and how to register for the class. All right, good deal. Final question, I always ask this. Uh, Feel free to answer if you would like. Is there a memorable search or two that you'd like to discuss and just tell tell us about, you know, working dogs or just uh, just something memorable from a a previous search that that either one of y'all have been on? You, You mentioned one earlier, any others that come to mind? Um, one that's probably would be very controversial, but I, but I still can talk about it, um, because all of the legal aspects have been settled. Um, one of the searches we went on and I talked about doing a hoarder situation. We, we had responded to a hoarder situation and the entire team, and there were a lot of dead animals, a lot of garbage, um, feces of all sorts of types and we had the team's dogs alert in an area and we were all skeptical skeptical because we had never searched a hoarder situation quite as bad as this one before and so my very first search dog had traveled with us and she was a little old lady and she just did you know the little old lady shuffle around 
And she wasn't there to search. But Ben said, you know what, for confirmation, we're all having a hard time. Why don't you get the one with the most experience out and see what she does? So I picked her up out of the car. And as a confirmation dog, I set her almost, I used her almost like a compass with all the dead stuff around, set her down. And that little old lady shuffled right for where all the other cadaver dogs had been alerting. And that sealed the deal for everybody. You, we, we have, as you mature in search and rescue and your partner matures out to where they can no longer search, you know, it really showed me that they do have some value and it was her very last thing that she did. We, we never considered her to be on that search or anything, but it was for team morale and everything else. And it just, it so hit my heart so hard because I just, I absolutely loved her. I, she's, she would have been 23 years old today or 23 years old this year. And it was, it was wonderful for me to see she still had it and she still gave confirmation to all those young dogs. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Ben, is there a story that you'd like to share? Wow. I don't know that I could talk to her <laughs> <laughs> um, They were all right, by the way, even though we couldn't see anything, the uh, person that we were looking for was actually shoved between the floorboards of the kitchen floor and the bottom of the house and had a dead dog on top of her yeah so wow. Wow. law enforcement didn't believe it until they tore the house down and then they called us and said guess what um the yeah, power of dogs yeah so so fanta you know that that was one of the the controversies is that all the dogs were hitting just on a dead dog and when we brought the little old lady out who was tried and true and she said nope the kids are right Mm -hmm. We all walked away from that going, we got her yeah. and law enforcement telling us we didn't until a couple of weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's good. I mean, most of the ones that I have are drowning recoveries and we did, we did several of those that I think touched most of the team. We actually recovered a fellow Aggie. So everybody on my team uh, in the beginning were Aggies. I graduated oh, yeah, from a&M, Tip graduated from A&M, and a couple of the other people did too, and we actually went out during one, it was the Christmas holiday break, and recovered a young man who was about to graduate. Um, he was also an Aggie. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty, pretty tough. All right. Well, thank you guys for sharing those stories. So we'll wrap up. So I will mention again, we will do a part two for the listeners where we're really going to dig into some of the lessons learned that Ben and Tiffany have picked up over the last decade doing facts. So make sure to look out for that. We're going to go much more in depth there. This is, this was just kind of a summary of what is facts and what you can expect, et cetera. We want to talk about some of the more specifics. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot of takeaways that folks that are training today at their house can apply to their everyday training to make their dogs better and, and improve as handlers. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. So Ben and Tiffany, thank you all so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. I know y'all have a million other things to do. Uh, so I appreciate y'all uh, taking the time to join. Well, thank you for thank having you. us. We appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. My pleasure. And for the listeners, thank you so much for listening. As always, we greatly appreciate it. Listeners, please follow the Facebook page. There's some cool things I want to do on there, but uh, without followers, it's kind of hard to do that. So please take the time to follow the Hunt, Find, Alert Facebook page. And thank you for joining and have a great day.